This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Johnson. And a good, good day to everybody out there listening into the Podium Finish Live. Thanks for tuning in to another jam-packed edition of our show. I'm Rob Tiongson, a motorsports journalist based out of Austin, Texas, who covers NASCAR since 2008. And I've been in the motorsports scene since that same time. Um, and I am the primary host of our show. I'm so glad that all of you can join us for another edition of TPF Live, which you, of course, know can be found on Spotify uh, and all other platforms as well, like Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, we are definitely thrilled to have you along for another show. Now, of course, this is our ninth overall show since the offseason kicked off, but our 12th since the reboot in October of last year. So we're really excited about this because while this is our fourth off-campus edition of the show, we're getting closer to being back on campus, which means, of course, Two different editions of TPF Live where you'll hear our songs, but in this uh, version, it's going to be just straight podcast type of conversations on the show. And we have a really awesome edition of TPF Live, given the fact that we have some journalists who will be joining us uh, very shortly. Now, of course, we always have journalists and my good friend and colleague, Nathan Solomon, who will be joining me here as my co-host. Nathan, of course, has been preparing for the uh, the racing season, has been pretty busy with content on TPF. Uh, so Nathan, how have you been doing and what's been going on? Yeah, I've been, I've been doing well. I've just been working on, uh, like, like you said, working on a lot of TPF content, getting ready to go back to school here in about a week. Um, had a little college basketball to cover lately, but um, it's been good just to be able to relax. And I'm just, you know, like I said, ramping up for, for school to begin in about a week. And yeah, as you mentioned, with 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 school starting back for for really the both of us, St. Bonaventure is kicking off a week from Tuesday, I believe it is. Um, that means you'll start to hear uh, the radio show versions of TPF Live, where we can play some of our uh, our favorite songs as well. But um, hey, I guess in the meantime, though, if you, uh, if, you if, if 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 any of our listeners have any song recommendations, feel free to drop them below or uh, or on Twitter for us. But yeah, I'm doing really well. Glad to hear. As I say, yeah, we want to get those recommendations out there. So we're going to do our best on the radio show side of things to play as many songs as possible um, because we are a show uh, for the fans by the fans. So we want to make sure it's a very fun uh, 2022 edition of our radio show. And of course, I want to thank all the listeners who have listened to the previous editions of our podcast, which of course, again, you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you go to listen to your podcast. Now, I did mention we have a couple of journalists who will be joining us today. Now, the first guest journalist who will be joining us is actually a content creator and motorsports journalist based out of the great state of Michigan. Uh, I met him back in 2017, and his name is Casey Campbell, who will be joining us as well. Oh, and not in a live pretext, but kind of in the spirit of the show, we have a really special guest host, or panelist rather, Will be joining us and that would of course be fox nascar's bob pockris so um if you didn't get your fix of sports reporters from espn back in the day well ladies and gentlemen we're gonna have a lot of that on here on tpf live motorsports style so without further ado i'm going to introduce casey right now so casey thank you for joining us today for episode 12 of tpf live it's a great honor to have you on how are you doing 
I'm doing really well, Rob. Thanks for having me on. And I just got to say, you have done a great job with the with the podium finish and what you've been able to do with that. So yeah, appreciate you having me on. Of course, uh, as you've known, Nathan's been on my channel a lot as part of my preview show team, along with uh, along with a bunch of our friends, uh, Taylor Kitchen, another one, uh, and plus of all, plus also a lot of other other great people that I've uh, that I've built uh, that I got a group of group of contributors, I should say. Um, as we get going for the 2022 season and had a lot of great guests on my channel, which kind of relates to what we're, what we're kind of talking about today. Yeah, for sure. I hope you'll have me on as a guest on your show uh, because I always have time to be on there uh, during the racing season. Um, despite uh, Nathan, Nathan alluded, I'm going to be quite busy too with grad school uh, next week, which um, time to think of it, I've been getting used to being in off season mode, but it's time to get back to the, the virtual classroom books, get my master so that um, I can position myself even further along with my successful, but um, I'm still emerging career, if you will, as a veteran in this industry. So we're gonna hear from Casey, Nathan, and eventually Bob later on in the show. But first, let me talk about how the format of the show works if it's your first time listening in. So uh, TPF Live is a very fast, typically hour-long podcast where Nathan and I and a special guest, which in this case today is Casey, we're going to be talking about various racing topics in podium perspectives. Now think of it kind of like listening to Pardon the Interruption on ESPN, where you usually hear Tony Kornheiser and uh, uh, Michael Wilbon kind of going back and forth on a plethora of topics. But of course, we're going to just stick to NASCAR and eventually IndyCar, NHRA, Formula One, you name it, we'll talk about it as much as we can. But in this edition, it's going to be quite special, so I'll get to that in a little bit. And then, of course, we typically have an interview segment with a special guest. Now, typically, that would be in the hot seat with a driver from NASCAR or IndyCar and perhaps Formula One at some point, which I don't want to give away, but we will have somebody from F1 eventually. Um, so that's going to be fun. But today it's going to be writer's block, which if you've heard previous shows, we've had Lewis Frank on the writer's block live on the show. Um, and we've also had Luis Torres give his, his thoughts as being a photojournalist with us and for Motorsports Tribune. Uh, so we've also had Alex Andrejev, Andrejev rather, on the show, and we're going to have her eventually on again sometime down the road. So it's typically like a little chance for us writers to kind of to share our thoughts. But this time, it's just going to be between me and Bob uh, Pockers because we kind of caught up with each other late last year. So before we kick off this show, let me remind you that if you are a diecast collector, and I know that I am, I know Nathan is, and I'm sure Casey is as well, there's a great website that you can get your diecast cars, um, and that would be circlebdiecast.com. Brent and his team is always working hard at getting these great diecast cars from Lionel Racing, green light collectibles, and sometimes some goodies from the past like Revell and Racing Champions. And of course, he always has his awesome Black Friday sales, which won't be happening till, of course, 11 months down the road. But hey, holiday shopping, why not get to it right now? So of course, if you spend at least $20 or more on in-stock items, you can get free shipping by using promo code TPF2021. That's TPF2021. Be sure to enter that as a promo code so that you can get free shipping on your items in stock with circlebdiecast.com, one of the leading distributors in diecast collectibles. Just tell them that you that Rob Tiongson sent you over 
because you'll get a good deal from doing so. Well, folks, now that you've heard how this podcast works, let's get to it. And we're going to head to our first segment. It is time for Podium Perspectives. And because we have so much to get to on this podcast, we're kind of changing things up a little bit for this week in the spirit, again, of ESPN's Pardon the Interruption and Around the Horn. So no, I'm not going to award points. And I'm not exactly staff boy Tony Real, Tony Reale, but um, I don't have to spike tear like him. But in any event, we're going to hear from Nathan and Casey in a very fast-paced edition of the segment. We're going to give each of our panelists two minutes to give their initial thoughts on these topics that we're going to get to right now. And then we'll have 90 seconds to hit up a follow-up topic relating to the talking point. Now, if you exceed those two minutes, you'll be muted. And then I'm going to interject and say, well, we're going to move on to the next topic. Uh, so we'll see how this goes because it's going to be pretty fun. Racing, of course, goes so fast that I'm going to get fast to these topics right away, folks. Topic number one, it's about college racing. Now, they've been quite busy during this offseason, of course, having Landon Castle named over to the number 10 Xfinity team. And then we also have a roster for the trophy hunting car in Cup. And we finally know what Justin Haley's going to be driving car number wise and on the cup side of things with car number 31 returning to the cup circuit. But they recently announced their crew chief lineup for their cup and Xfinity programs. So Matt Swiderski is going to be helming the number 16 trophy hunting cup car that will be driven by AJ Allmendinger, last year's Indy road course winner, Daniel Hembrick, of course, the reigning Xfinity champion, and Noah Gregson, who's one of the emerging stars from the Xfinity series with Junior Motorsports. Meanwhile, Trent Owens will be calling the shots for Justin Haley and the number 31 car. Now on the Xfinity side, we have Alex Jans, who's going to stick with the number 11 team as he'll be the crew chief for Hemrick, who I'd mentioned is the defending Xfinity champion, while Drayson Trincheri, who used to be with AJ Allmendinger's Xfinity team, he'll be moving over to the number 10 car of Landon Castle. So that means that AJ Allmendinger is going to have the new voice of Bruce Schickler, who will be the crew chief in the number 10 car, our uh, number 16 car, when he was at the helm of the number 10 car last year, as driven by Jeb Burton. If you couldn't keep up with that, folks, you need a score card at home. I know I'm going to for a while. So with that, let's hear from Nathan first, and then we'll get to hear from Casey. So I'm going to put you all on the clock for two minutes, starting soon. So Nathan, let's get your thoughts first. Colleagues not racing around Nathan with their Cup and Xfinity program. So in your opinion, which of these pairings intrigues you the most in terms of the potential from the driver and crew chief lineup? Go ahead, your two minute starts now. Yeah, I think um, I, I kind of like these announcements by, by Colleague. I'm a little bit surprised though that, that AJ Elmendinger is gonna have a new, a new crew chief in the Xfinity series. I mean, he had a lot of success um, with, with Trinshire last year. So, so I'm a little surprised they're kind of going to switch things up a little bit and, and give my guests a, a little bit of new blood. Um, but, you know, colleague has such a great rapport that I don't think it's really gonna, it's not gonna really matter. Like all those, everybody can click so well there and it's just such like a family atmosphere there. So I, I feel like they'll, they'll, they'll really get going together. So I, I guess I'll say that new, uh, that new duo of AJ Allendinger, and uh, Bruce Schickler, I think I think they'll have a lot of success. I think AJ is going to be in the he's going to be in the championship four again next year. He's going to contend for um, for a championship. And then over on the Cup side, Matt Swiderski, he's, he's going to stay with the 16, um, a car that he obviously won with last year at the Indianapolis Real Course. So that doesn't really surprise me. He's kind of a 
uh, been an RCR employed crew chief for a while as you know a colleague part of the RCR uh, uh, I guess alliance um, so not, not a whole lot surprises me, but I think that down in the Xfinity series, AJ Allmendinger and Bruce Schickler is going to have a lot of success. And I hope, I'd love to see Landon Castle have another, uh, a great run with this great opportunity. I'd love for him to be able to get to victory lane and make it to the playoffs and everything. And, you know, he, he, he's a journeyman in NASCAR. So, uh, it'd, it'd be super deserving for him to, to be able to get, uh, have a lot of success in a, in, in a really good car. So I'm excited to see what Colin's going to do next year. I think they're going to have a lot of success at both levels. They're going to win races at both levels. And, uh, I think eventually, eventually, or rather finally, they're going to win that Xfinity series championship. Absolutely. I think that's a great, well, that's a great point you brought up, Nathan, and we're going to definitely circle back to that because uh, we're going to hear from Casey here, and I'm going to basically ask him the same question. So, Casey, you heard a little bit from Nathan about his thoughts, so kind of wanted to get your observation on these changes because it's quite a lot that happened with College Racing, which is good, but in two minutes or less, tell me your thoughts on these changes for College Racing. Um, literally have the College Racing release from yesterday pulled up on my uh on my laptop as I'm looking at this. Look, uh, so I'll talk about the ones that Nathan didn't get a chance to. Uh, Trent Owens, of course, came over, uh, who was a JTG with Justin Haley. I, that's going to be an interesting one because it, it's definitely going to be interesting because Colleague is, you know, going to the Cup Series with two cars for the first time ever. You know, it's uh, uh, hopefully, I, I think it's going to be an interesting year for them. And and who knows what's going to happen with them. But, um, you know, the men and women at Colleague are going to are going to perform pretty well. And uh, and then the one uh, and also Alex Yance, of course, who had some success with Justin Haley now with Daniel Hemrick. I think that pairing is going to be an interesting one. I the interesting thing with that is Jason and Bruce flip flopped. That's kind of strange, but definitely going to be uh, definitely going to be interesting for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the one change I thought that caught my eye was the fact that um, Jason and AJ are not going to be working together this year, and he's going to have a new voice and new person at the top of his uh, his pit box with uh, Bruce Strickler. But I kind of think when we look back at what happened last year with AJ's playoff run, Yes, he had the win at um, in the Charlotte Roval race weekend, but there were times I kind of felt like listening to the team communications that maybe AJ and Jason, I wouldn't say they hit an impasse, but creatively they just kind of were lost against the other teams that were in the championship race uh, hunt. But I mean, yes, they got to Phoenix and certainly they proved their points as a consistent front-running team against the likes of Austin Sindrick, Daniel Hamrick, and Noah Gregson. But in the end, I think it is going to be, you know, Call of Racing knows what they're doing. They're really great at what they do in terms of the resources they have around them and the personnel that work with them. So we're going to be watching them very closely because there's just so much that is going to happen with this bunch, both in Cup and Xfinity. So kind of following up on that, we're going to start with Nathan and then hear from Casey on this. So in this case here, Nathan, you know, we, we've... We, uh, you and, and Casey kind of talked about these pairings and kind of the changes overall, but, but you know, whether with Xfinity, let's stick with Xfinity at least, which of these pairings do you think is going to stand the best chance at success in terms of wins in, champ in the championship? Um, I mean, like I said, I think Adrian Elmendinger will, will for sure have a lot of success and he'll be a, a championship four caliber driver, but I mean, of course you can't 
forget about the defending champ, Daniel Hemrick. I mean, kind of a weird situation there when you think about it. He, you know, he he goes so many years in his NASCAR career, not ever winning a race. And then in his final race with Joe Gibbs Racing, which is the championship race, he, he wins the race, wins the championship. And all of a sudden, you know, bye-bye. He's, uh, he's with a new team, new manufacturer now. So I think he's going to be riding off a lot of momentum there. And he, he's obviously going to have a really good season and really good equipment. But looking at the Xfinity Series as a whole, I mean, man, it's going to be it's going to be very challenging this year. I mean, RCR has got two cars. Um, you know, we, we don't even know what the Joe Gibbs racing lineup is going to look like. Like we, we have no clue there. Um, and I, I know I'm, I'm kind of blanking right now, but there's so many good cars that there's going to be next year. So, um, you know, Ryan Priest is going to run a couple of races down there in, in, in Xfinity. That should be fun. Um, seeing some of the other, uh, maybe seeing some truck guys come up to run a few races, I mean, it's just going to be a, a fantastic series again this year. So probably Hamrick and, um, and Almondinger because they're, they're, they're the most proven, if you will. But, I mean, again, Landon Castle, he, he hasn't had this opportunity in, in, in a good car in such a long time. Um, so we'll see if he can take advantage of that. He's got two years there, and uh, I, I think Collins have another really successful season overall. Absolutely. And I think what Landon can do in this colleague racing car is a more mature, but very confident uh, and consistent driver in a really good car. It's going to be fun to watch. I almost kind of in a way think Xfinity might be a little bit more exciting in the Cup Series, but not because of this whole car number change and all of that, but just the fact that there's just so many competitive drivers and teams in NASCAR's number two division, if you will. In case you kind of heard what uh, Nathan had to say right there. But now I want to hear your thoughts in 90 seconds or less. Which of the pairings in the Xfinity Cypher colleague is going to have the best chance at race wins and this year's championship? You know, I'm really not sure, to be honest with you. I, I, I think it's I think we just got to reevaluate and, you know, time's going to tell when when all that's going to happen. But I, I'm really not I'm really not positive on that. I can't really give you a good answer because we, we just don't know yet from from what it is and let me add this there's going to be 50 cars at daytona there's going to be and there's going to be a lot of cars so trying to and i'm sure all the college cars are good at getting in the field so they don't have to worry about that but with that with the series being so competitive right now with junior motorsports with colleague and everything else it's definitely going to be something something to really watch out for so the xfinity series overall is going to uh is going to be very, very competitive. But in terms of back to your question, we just, I just don't know right now. It could be AJ. It could be Daniel. It could be Landon. I don't, I really don't know, to be honest with you. So I, I, I can't give you a good answer, man. That's fair enough. I mean, and you know, we don't have the luxury of preseason testing like we did when I was a kid growing up uh, when the Bush series and cup series and even the truck series had their, preseason tests back in the day so it's kind of a, a you know a crapshoot if you will in the Xfinity series but that's good because you know for a while we had our concerns about the vitality the health of the Xfinity series and it's looking quite lively again so college racing is going to be one of those intriguing stories and we still don't know what's going to happen of course with Team Penske's operation on the Xfinity side which we're going to find out here very shortly I'm sure this week or this month so when we have more details on that, we'll definitely talk about that as a podium perspective here on TPF Live. Now, moving on to topic number two, Atlanta Motor Speedway played host to a series of Goodyear tire tests for various truck 
Xfinity and Cup Series teams this past week. Now, based on the overall consensus with the test session, you could say that this is not going to be the same Atlanta Motor Speedway that a lot of us have known, at least for you and, and Casey. Um, Nathan, it's definitely not the same track that you guys were growing up to watch. And for me, this is chapter number three for this track because I knew it as a paperclip track. I knew it when it was a dangerous quad oval track that was supposed to be Charlotte's twin, but it became a very unique track on its own. And now it's basically being dubbed as Mini Daytona, um, you know, with Ross Chastain mentioning that handling and finding the right drafting partner is being crucial with success at this iteration of AMS. So Casey, we're going to start off with you and then we're going to hear from Nathan. So in two minutes or less, do you suppose we're going to see some of that old school practice of cup teams and even Xfinity truck teams having to make and wheel deals to find the right drafting partners, at least until the last lap? Let's hear from you first, starting now. Well, funny you mentioned that, Rob. I got the chance and I got the pleasure to talk with Grant Enfinger this week on my channel. And uh, what Grant was saying is that Atlanta is kind of its own beast. It's not a super speedway track. It's not a mile and a half. It's just Atlanta. So from what he told me, um, from at least from the truck perspective, they tested a downforce type truck with a super speedway type engine package. Um, from what he told me, it looked, it sounded like NASCAR is pretty happy with that. So maybe they'll run some form of that. I, I don't know, but it, it's really hard to tell with, with three trucks out there. And it looks like they, that they were pretty happy with, uh, with how it went down there, but it's definitely going to be its own beast. So um, yeah. And the, and similar to what, uh, Similar to what Tyler Reddick told me this week, we had him on on Friday. Go check those out. So it, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what this uh, what Atlanta is going to do with all the cars on there because it's its own beast. And uh, yeah, well, I like the sounds of that because we need Atlanta to be a very unique track again. And uh, you know, for a while, folks, the drivers at home on the race cars were always saying like, it's so unique, it's so abrasive, but. Um, from their perspective, it might have been great for them to race at, but for the fans at home, and maybe, maybe some of us press, uh, you know, the journalists like us, there, was, there wasn't there was there really a lot to talk about. Um, although last year's races were pretty good, um, you know, it kind of lost its luster as a track that delivered these great photo finishes and, you know, a lot of these chasing of the high line versus the low line that we saw like in 2011 in the cup race. But I digress because we're going to have to hear from Nathan, of course, about Atlanta. Now, on the other hand, we've heard what Casey had to say, but Nathan, given the trends that we've seen with manufacturers working together at Daytona and Talladega, and also what you know Casey mentioned with Grant Infinger's reactions, as well as Tyler Reddick's, do you think we'll see some of the trends that we've seen at the super speedways carry over with racing over at Atlanta, or do you think things will be different? Let's hear you in two minutes. I have no clue. Like I, we, I, we haven't even seen these cars draft once yet on the track. So it's so hard to gauge it off, off anything like, you know, they, the, there's more banking now on, on the track. It's obviously the same size and there's going to be lower, lower horsepower, at least in the cup cars. I don't know the horsepower numbers off the top of my head for Xfinity and truck, but the plant horsepower for cups five ten right now. So that's obviously going to slow the cars down a lot more, but I think you were saying in the drafts, they're getting, 
low 30s and they're hoping to maybe break 30 for, for lap times. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be, a, if it's going to be a mini super speedway race, I mean, especially on the cuff side, if it's, you know, 325 laps, a 500 mile race, like it's been before, I mean, that's a long race. And, it, you know, it, I think it's going to see some similarities to a Daytona or Talladega, but just with the, you know, it, it's a mile shorter. I think it's going to be different. Um, before with, with, with this old reconfiguration there, it was more of a, more of a strategy race. I mean, of course, you know, you still got to pass the cars and everything, but with, with how abrasive that surface is, you go five laps and, you know, there's another caution, like every, every, after every short run, you're putting new tires on. So that's obviously going to be a lot different. Your tire wear is going to be, be, uh, be much lengthened, I guess, if you will, you couldn't go more than about 30, 35 laps. It felt like on, on a long run before you have to come down and, in pit so it put a put a lot of pressure put a lot of stress on 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 pit crews but obviously you know pit stops are different this year in cup but so it'll be interesting i don't we know we talked a little bit about it last week i don't think it's very fair that it wasn't an organizational test down there that only three cars for each series get to go and kind of what casey mentioned before uh with with daytona you know there's there's maybe gonna be 50 xfinity cars at at daytona you know i don't know what those numbers are going to be as you kind of progress through the season but we i think we could easily see kind of entry lists on xfinity between 43 45 cars and i mean you know it, it like it, it's so hard to gauge that track without getting everybody down there and testing at the same time and i feel like there should have been an organizational test but they could schedule one in the future absolutely and that was a lot to get to in two minutes but you summed it up pretty well and um yeah, I mean, I think the greatest takeaway that we have at Atlanta is pretty much the consensus that we have with NASCAR as a whole this season is that there's just so much unknown, uh, unknowns rather, um, besides the fact that Cup has the new next-gen car, the one lug that per tire situation, and of course, different driver team combinations, different horsepower and aerodynamic configurations, you name it, there's just so much to get to that you know, when we get closer to Daytona, we'll, we'll probably digress on a lot of these uh, topics to get everybody ready for Daytona. But certainly when it comes to Atlanta, I'm pretty excited to see what's going to happen with this track um, coming into 2022. To kind of follow up on that, let's kind of hear from Casey first and then Nathan. Um, now, it's interesting, Casey, that you brought up how Grant Infinger, you know, he didn't really kind of see it as sort of a super speedway type of racetrack but it's still Atlanta, you know, but given the fact that this is a much steeper and much more narrow track in the corners, you know, it's going to take some time for Atlanta to have those multiple grooves, in my opinion, but, uh, you know, based on what you gathered with these drivers, do you think Atlanta is going to deliver an exciting competitive action on the track? I want to hear your thoughts in 90 seconds or less. I have no idea. That's basically what I've concluded. And that's what, that's what all these drivers that I've talked to have saying from for, I just want to clarify something. Tyler Reddick did not participate in the Atlanta test. Ross Chastain represented Chevy um, from just from watching it. It just seemed like it was, it, it's, it's just going to be interesting. You can't really tell with three cars on there, um, but it, it's definitely going to be interesting. I'll just say that it's who knows but will it deliver i don't know but we're gonna wait and see to find out certainly and i think one thing that nathan brought up and we'll hear from nathan <laughs> first on this to kind of follow up and then after that in case if you had other thoughts to talk about 
uh, certainly I welcome to hear your thoughts. But Nathan, you brought up a good point that you and I have brought up on episode 11, and, and I, I feel the same way. But do you think with the fact that three different drivers and teams, and at least the cup side, having on-track experience already, albeit not in the drafting formation, do you think do you suppose that NASCAR might say, you know, guys and teams, you know, we're heading to Atlanta. Maybe we're going to have an extended practice session just to kind of level the playing field a little bit. I feel like they're going to have to. I mean, if we're not doing an organizational test down there and looking at the schedule, I don't or the calendar, I don't see how we're going to be able to get that in because we're we're at Daytona next week, or rather this week as this, as this podcast comes out, and we're going to Phoenix here in a couple of weeks to test. Then all of a sudden, boom, it's Bush Clash time. Like four weeks from now, from well, at least from when we're recording, we, we've got we've got an NASCAR race. So there's not really time to book a book a, a next gen test there, except for maybe that week after the Bush Clash. Um, you know, w- once we get into the swing of things with with the with the regular season schedule, we have Daytona three West Coast races, then boom, Atlanta. So I mean, it's pretty early on, and, and again, like. All, all of all of NASCAR's resources are out west, and they stay out west for those three weeks. So it's not like callers come back between races for people who are a little less uh, familiar with kind of how NASCAR team operations work for those West Coast races. But the haulers are not going to be there. You know, people, you know, the teams are going to be, you know, they'll fly home, they'll get home, you know, 3 a.m. Monday morning. They're flying back out 3 p.m. You know, Thursday afternoon. So there's not time to to prepare down there. So I feel like they're going to have to to add practice sessions for all three series because without getting more than just 50, 50 minutes to um, uh, to figure this all out and people are going to be on here for the first time on race weekend, I, I can't see how that's going to be, th- th- that's going to be a good thing. So I feel like maybe add one more practice and that'll kind of allow for both short run and long run testing going forward. Yeah, for sure. Just because of the fact that Atlanta, given its history, uh, whenever this track has been changed, you need to have a little bit more on-track time. And I understand NASCAR's positioning with having these somewhat shorter one-practice session uh, ahead of qualifying, but um, without much of more than a blank tableau with Atlanta, except for those three teams, it's kind of an advantage. So hopefully, you know, we'll see some logic prevail when it comes to heading to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Yes, I said Atlanta because I think the action is going to be quite intense. And, you know, having seen these races over the last 31 years, it doesn't matter what kind of track layout we have at Atlanta. It's still, to me, one of the best tracks in all of motorsports here in America. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Now, as we head to our last and third topic of podium perspectives, we're going to talk about Ryan Priest. Now, Unfortunately, for you folks who are Priest fans, yes, he's not going to be racing full-time in Cup, but he's probably got one of the most handiest roles in all of NASCAR because he will be Stuart Haas Racing's reserve driver. Now, he may be in one of the four SHR Cup cars when it comes to a driver being unable to compete, whether that's due to COVID-19 or another reason. So at the very least, Ryan Priest is going to be in at least two cup races, three Xfinity races, and at least seven truck races. And these will at least be with an SHR affiliate. Now we know what Ryan Priest can do when it comes to good equipment and being with an SHR four type vehicle, as we saw last year at Nashville. So we're going to start off with Nathan and then hear from Casey with their first two minute thoughts on Ryan Priest. What are your overall thoughts, Nathan? with Ryan Priest being this reserve driver and sort of the handyman for SHR? 
I'm a little surprised that, that this deal happened. I don't ever think I I don't remember the last time a, a team or a manufacturer assigned a driver as like a reserve driver. Like it feels like it's something like like a Formula One thing or something. Um, but I think it's 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 an interesting deal for Priest, but I think it could benefit him here in the long run. Just, you know, at minimum, he's running 12 races. That'll give him a lot of time to do simulator work, which is one of the things that that SHR and Ford have said he's gonna do a lot of. Um, so he'll get a lot of experience there. And you know, he's represented by, by Kevin Harvick Incorporated. Um, and, and with Kevin Harvick, you know, he's, I think that for him, retirement's maybe on the horizon. Um, maybe not after this year, but maybe after next year. So I could kind of see a situation where if Priest has some success here this year, he could be Harvick's successor in the number four car for, for Stuart Haas. I mean, that's a little bit, a little bit foreshadowing, but, um, I think it was when 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 Harvick was on the on the Dale Jr. download. He said he probably only has a couple couple more years left realistically. Um, so I, I think this is good for him. I mean, he, his seven truck race will come with DGR Crosley. Um, I, I think that they kind of had a little bit of an underwhelming year outside of Priest's win at Nashville. So I think that'll be good for for that company. Um, for Xfinity, I kind of I, I anticipate that'll be that'll be all SHR since they only have one you know, one, one, one Xfinity car that they field anyway. Um, for a cop, I, I'm guessing he'll, he'll probably run for BJ McLeod or something in a, in a SHR prepared car since SHR fields four cars. Um, and, and they can't field more than four cars, of course, just with the, with the cup series rules and everything. So, uh, I think this will be good for him. He'll be able to keep doing a lot of modified racing. He'll be able to be on the track a lot, do that sim work. And I think he'll be a better driver from it down the road. No, those are great thoughts. And, you know, Ryan Priest, He's make he's gonna make the most of a situation. You know, it's unfortunate that his situ uh his ride at JTG Doherty uh kind of evaporated due to the fact that it, that the 37 team was not a charter team. Um, but you know, he's still very young. He's a very competitive driver. And you know, having watched him when I was living in the Northeast, I know what kind of driver he is when he's in a good car. So um, this is sort of an audition process, maybe. Uh, for uh, Priest when it comes to coming back to Cup uh, not too long down the road, should he go that route, of course. Now, Casey, we've heard what Nathan had to say, and, you know, we, we know how well connected you are with these drivers and teams. You know, with Priest's situation, being this reserve driver and also having some various starts um, with the Ford SHR umbrella, what are what's your impression of Priest uh, heading into 2022 with the situation he has, he's in? I think it's interesting. That's the that's the key word in all this. Look, Brian Priest. I, I talked to Ryan probably within the last few weeks of running with JTG, um, and it was it was something that you know he was he was looking around, but it, it didn't seem like he was he was bothered by all of it. He knew he was going to find something, and I, I think this is the best thing that worked out for him. I'd. I'm going to kind of give some insight here. I, I, I had heard that Stuart Haas was a destination for him, but it wasn't in this role. But I think it's going to be definitely, it's going to be a big learning curve for, for him. I know that he's been successful with David Gilliland racing. And um, in, in the truck series, well, of course, that went at Nashville. When you look at where he's at in cup with, I don't know which cup team he's probably going to run. My guess may be Rick Ware, and then for Xfinity, maybe with BJ McLeod. That's just because I know that they're both Stuart Haas-affiliated teams. 
and so there but when you look at what's what's to come for him I think that's where it's going to be because you know Nathan mentioned Kevin Harvick you also got Eric Almarola too you know he's he's I mean he's not as older as Harvick but he's he's getting up there but it's definitely uh definitely something to watch but uh, yeah Priest is in a really good position right now so uh I like the move and uh in case if something happens especially you know we, we've seen in all of these other sports if someone gonna someone's if someone comes down with COVID he can step in and fill in so oh, that's a that's awesome that you mentioned that and uh it is kind of a Formula One type situation that I'm surprised none of the team has actually considered because COVID's going to be a situation that we're all going to grapple with in any industry, but especially in sports. I mean, you see, like Casey, you mentioned other sports are dealing with it. NBA teams are allowed to get these 10 day rentals, if you will, in the event that their roster is getting depleted by COVID. We saw the NHL pause their season a little bit during Christmas. Uh, thankfully, we're back in operation, uh, although some teams are kind of suffering from the pandemic. And, you know, certainly we hope all of you folks are keeping safe with that. But kind of getting back on topic, of course, it's interesting you brought up Eric Almarola. And I really didn't think about that, although I am close to his age and I don't want to think that's old because 36, 37 is still a useful age. But, you know, sports parlance, yes, it is of an older age when it comes to being an athlete. So, um Let's hear from Casey first and then Nathan as a follow-up. Um, since y'all have been keeping on time with your uh, thoughts, I'm not going to keep track on this one, but just kind of keep it topical, of course. Do you suppose do you suppose that other teams are going to take note of what SHR is doing and say, hey, we've got to get reserve drivers. We can't just scramble around. I mean, I knew back in 2020, Landon Castle was a backup driver for JTG Doherty. Thankfully, he never got to drive for the cup teams for them. But Casey and then Nathan, do you suppose this is going to be the norm moving forward that teams are going to say, well, we got to get a backup driver just in case. And, te- and going back to that, Justin Algar was the, was the backup driver for Hendrick, I believe. Um, I mean, we could. We could see that. It's, uh, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of cup teams that do have Xfinity programs like, like RCR, like Stuart Haas, Joe Gibbs Racing. So they already have those in their pipeline. So maybe we could, maybe we could see that. And a lot of, you see Stuart Haas partnering with a lot of other teams um, in the Xfinity series. You see GMS doing the same in the truck series, but I, don't, I think that's unrelated. But yeah, I think we could, we could see that. We could see, uh, you know, as teams get driver development programs, you know, Rick Ware has one um, currently working with Mason Maggio in the Carolina Pro Series. And then you have a lot of, and just younger drivers and I mean, driver development and yeah, reserve drivers kind of, yeah, I think it is something that we're going to see. Maybe it's already happening and we just don't know about it. So, yeah. That's true. I mean, uh, it's probably something that's already in the works, but at least publicly we, you know, not a lot of folks may know that unless you are in the inside, of course, or you have connections with these teams. And you brought up a good point where Justin Algar was the kind of the COVID driver, uh, as we saw when Jimmy Johnson had that uh, test that showed that he had COVID-19, but it proved to be a false negative situation, I think, uh, for the Brickyard 400 in 2020. But um, Nathan, what do you think of the situation with us trying to grapple with COVID? Do you, do you suppose teams are going to be like, well, our driver's down out for the count for this weekend, but we got to have someone capable for the sponsors and our team to get that win or a top 10. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I think 
kind of similar to what to what Casey was saying. I mean, we there in a sense it kind of already is reserved drivers. I mean, you know, most likely if, if you see something where you know a Joe Gibbs Racing driver has, you know, has COVID or, or you know gets gets injured or something. Hopefully that obviously does not happen. But you know, in an event that that, that does happen, you, you you know, if a Cup driver gets hurt, you know, you'd probably see um, an Xfinity driver come up and somewhere in that CRD pipeline and, and fill in and maybe and vice versa. If something happens to an Xfinity driver, maybe see a cup, a cup driver step down for not step down, but, but go to, go to Xfinity for a couple of races and fill in or have a, have a truck driver come up. So you, you kind of see that a little bit already, but just in terms of like publicly signing a deal as like a reserve driver, I think this could maybe open up more doors to having uh, something like this in the future, especially if priest has a lot of success and, you know, he ever gets back to the cup series on a full-time basis and a good ride. Um, I, I could definitely see, see something like this happen. Maybe not always with teams, but like, like, like a, like a designated TRD, you know, reserve driver if where, you know, they can step into any truck series ride, any, any cop, any extended series ride for Toyota, you know, as just as a hypothetical, but yeah, I think we could see more of these signed reserve roles. Um, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you know, babies are born, people get COVID, unfortunately, people get hurt, unfortunately. Um, that's just kind of the nature of, of the sport and the nature of the world that we live in right now. But I think having a reserve driver uh, kind of gives um, drivers that experience of being able to race in all three series and being able to work with different crews and different crew chiefs and drive different machines of different um uh, of different, I, I guess, calibers and work on developing those relationships with sponsors in the meanwhile. So I think that going forward, and I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of changes after 2022 um, going forward, we could see a lot more of these reserve, reserve roles being signed with both teams and, uh, and manufacturers. Definitely. Just because of the fact that unfortunately too, drivers can get injured. We, we know that for a fact how concussions have been sort of a situation in, uh, in motorsports. And I kind of was thinking when you guys were talking how back in 2016, you know, that led to Alex Bowman's audition with Hendrick. It led to Jeff Gordon coming out of retirement and having to cut short his vacation, which I don't feel too bad for because he's well-to-do. So if you're going to be called to work, I wouldn't mind having to drive a stock car again after retiring from my, uh, my storied car, but it's going to be a storyline we're going to watch just because this is the world we live in and uh, teams have to be prepared. Uh, given the fact that, you know, we are starting to see sponsors that were mainstays like Eminem, you know, they're Mars Incorporated are looking to go out of the sport, unfortunately, and um, they can't be caught empty handed when it comes to a situation that will necessitate another driver in that car. So I'm going to be interested to see what's going to happen when we get to this year. And I hope we don't have to have anything like that happen. But if we do, as a journalist, of course, it's going to be an intriguing storyline to watch. So, folks, that was Podium Perspectives for this week. And if you like that ta- pers- uh, segment, let us know. You know, tweet to us at the Podium Finish or tweet to me at Rob Tiongson. Nathan, of course, is N. Solly. And uh, we'd definitely like to get your thoughts because if we get a good suggestion from you fans at home that tweet to us, maybe, just maybe, we'll use your topic on a future Podium Perspectives segment on TPF Live. So well done, gentlemen. I would give points away, but the budget is so low right now that I can't give points away just yet. But uh, maybe, just maybe, I'll, I'll give some points when we do another edition of this. So well done. 
I'm really happy with Podium Perspectives as we head into the second segment of our program, which, folks, I am so excited about this next part of our show. It's pretty much the only reason why I, you know, was working through this week in my office job and, um, well, okay, that's a total lie, but I like hyping things up a little bit, so... This is no hyping when I say that to many racing fans, he's a living legend because he's got the inside knowledge and answers with his tweets, and he comes up with thoughts as fast as they lock around Bristol Motor Speedway. Now, to those of those of us in the press, of course, he is one of the most diligent, focused, respected journalists in NASCAR. Um, I told him personally that he's kind of our version of the Woj. Uh, which he was taken aback by, but I don't think he should be because he really is. He's earned that that respect and sort of being the guy that we look up to when something happens. Uh, and that gentleman, of course, would be Bob Pockers of Fox NASCAR. Now, late last year, this is full disclosure, I had the opportunity to talk with Bob and we, we kind of went over his career, but I mostly got his thoughts about the changing landscape of motorsports journalism. Now, Nathan and I, of course, being Bonnies, we are focused on, you know, advancing further in our journalism careers. Nathan, of course, definitely making great strides. And with me kind of being the veteran in this industry, just really solidifying the fact that this is my full-time focus versus wearing three different hats and maybe putting on a toupee, even though I've got plenty full of hair in my head, thankfully. But anyway... You know, Bob's been around. He has been covering NASCAR since 1992. So when you hear what he's going to say very shortly, it, it will take you aback a little bit just to know his roots in motorsports and to know he is just like one of us. His, philosophy, his philosophies, rather, they differ from mine, but that's okay because that's what makes journalism and in any industry so great is that there's so many different roots that, you know, what I do may not be what Casey does or what Casey does may not be what Nathan does. Maybe we have commonalities, but that's what the writer's block is all about because we get a chance to get different perspectives, different opinions about what it is to be a journalist who covers NASCAR. So before we hear from Bob, very quickly, gentlemen, what's been the greatest contribution by Bob with NASCAR Media? I want to hear from you first, Nathan, and then we'll hear from Casey about what, it, what Pocky does for us in NASCAR. I mean, one, one contribution, I don't think I can, I don't think I can pick one. I mean, Bob's, you know, Bob's one of the most important people, you know, to this sport. You know, I think he keeps, he helps keep so many different fans informed about everything that's going on. And, you know, I guess is he, he helps feed the diehards, I guess, you know, of, of all the people on Twitter. I mean, so many people follow him on Twitter and, and everything. I mean, they can just get, you know, everything they need to know from the garage. Cause he's at pro almost every race, like almost at every race he's there from, the time the media center opens from the time the media center closes, which isn't, you know, for, it's not closed for a very long time. Like he's there all the time. I mean, he's obviously uh, an extremely dedicated journalist, um, you know, and, and obviously he, he's gained that respect uh, amongst drivers and crew chiefs and crew members and, you know, other media members and fans. I mean, I think I mentioned this last episode. I mean, you know, at Pocono Raceway, he's signing autographs more than fans are like, or than, uh, than drivers are like, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the most, uh, well, well-respected journalists out there. Uh, and I'm really excited to hear this interview. Certainly. It's almost like being in the classroom and, uh, if he was a guest lecturer, 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, pull up a chair, but this time I'm going to allow some popcorn because Professor Tiongson's got a really good adjunct professor that's going to be joining us very shortly. Casey, I know you you have also covered races, and I know you were at Michigan that race week, and I was at it 2017. Of course, Bob's there in the front row uh, where Brad Kubander would be at on the podium. So what's your impression of Bob in terms of his greatest contribution in your perspective? You talk about adjunct professor. That's actually what Brad Kubander's doing right now. So uh, yeah, hope you're doing well, man. But Bob Pockers, of course, uh, and then I believe that was actually 2019 because uh, 20, yeah, it was 2019, I think. Um, also, Bob's, of course, uh, Bob's been on the channel a lot. Of uh, he's, I've interviewed, I've had the chance to talk to him several times. You know, he and I talk throughout the race weekend whenever I'm, whenever I'm at Michigan, whenever I'm at any other track. Um, he's probably the, one of the, one of the people I, I go to it's, it's, he's there along with a lot of others, uh, in the business. It's been, uh, it's been very good to, uh, get to know him, but, uh, yeah, Bob's one of the best. I've had many, many different conversations with him, uh, th- just about a bun- just about a bunch of different stuff as, uh, as, uh, now as you enter in your 14th, I'm entering in year number six. So. Yeah, it's uh, Bob's been a big part, and uh, we're actually going to try to get him on in the next few weeks on my channel, personally. And by the way, you mentioned uh, you going on there. Yeah, we're going to get you on. So glad to hear. So because uh, I was starting to wonder when, when am I going to be on these preview shows, given how long I've been covering the sport. So appreciate that. Um, certainly, I look forward to being a future guest when that happens. Uh, but yes, Bob's going to be here. Um, so it is a bit of a lengthier edition. So yes, you could definitely, the great luxury of a podcast is you can pause and listen, but I hope you sit through it because he does have a lot of interesting thoughts when it comes to his career, the diversity efforts, not just with drivers, but I mean, in the media center, because I take pride in the fact that I'm the only Asian American covering NASCAR full time, uh, to my knowledge. I know there's others who come in once in a while from newspapers and other media outlets, and more respect to them for sure. But as far as doing it full time, I'm the only one around. So, I mean, it was great to hear what Bob had to say on that front. And uh, there's so many different topics. I just don't want to spoil it. So let's get into the writer's block with Bob Hawkers. Bob, I want to hear your thoughts about everything we're going to talk about right now. So Bob, take it away. Bob, thank you so much for joining me here for the PodiumFinish.net and the Podium Finish Live podcast that airs on St. Bonaventure's WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz. Now, as we talked about before, uh, you've been covering NASCAR since 1991, and you started off with the Daytona Beach News Journal. So what kind of piqued your interest with motorsports personally and professionally? Well, I grew up in Indianapolis. I moved there when I was 10. So I've always um, knew about motorsports, right? You don't live in Indianapolis and not know uh, motorsports. Uh, obviously, at that time, you know there was no NASCAR at Indianapolis. So my main, uh, my main motorsports interest and exposure was to IndyCar. And in, w- during college years, I would uh, I was a quote runner for UPI during the Indy, or during the Indy 500 month of May. So you know, so I was used to being at a racetrack. And when I went to the Daytona paper uh, out of college, obviously, you know, I had that experience of covering uh, major racing events that, uh, that even though I wasn't the main motorsports writer, that, that they, you know, knew they could help, they could certainly use my help and my 
knowledge uh, in the, in their NASCAR coverage. But, you know, my first NASCAR race I went to was the 20 or was the 1992 Daytona 500. Uh, that was the first, uh, I mean, I guess maybe one or, I don't even know if I went to any of the preliminary events that year. That may have been my first NASCAR race. That's kind of an auspicious start if that's the case, because just to be kind of thrown into the Daytona 500, that's a heck of a way to kind of say, you know what, this is how I'm going to cover NASCAR. At the time, kind of a side question, at the time, did you kind of say to yourself, yep, this is going to be my beat. I'm going to cover NASCAR. Nope, not at all. Um, I mean, and having been at the Indy 500, um, you know, nothing against NASCAR, but especially in, the, in 1992, you know, the Indy 500 was so much bigger than the Daytona 500, right? Like, you know, that was before uh, the split. And so, yeah, I mean, the Daytona 500, obviously a really big deal. Uh, but, you know, I would say that, you know, I, didn't, I don't know that there was much intimidation other than never having been at the Daytona racetrack or not having been at very much just to know how things work. Uh, but no, I know uh, there was no like, oh, this is what I'm going to cover NASCAR. I had no such moment. Um, you know, I was a sports writer. I was a journalist. I was willing to cover anything. Um, and, you know, and certainly... Uh, you, the, there were certainly more jobs not covering NASCAR than were covering NASCAR, right? There are plenty of other sports, plenty of other colleges. You know, there, you know, at any newspaper, there was only one NASCAR writer, but there'd be an NBA writer and a college writer, and, you know, and and probably baseball writer and a hockey writer and a football writer. So, you know, certainly there were more opportunities to cover something else. And you know, I didn't really think of myself, you know, of covering NASCAR full time until I went to NASCAR Scene Magazine in 2003. That would have made the whole landscape so much different if you hadn't made this kind of your main focus because um, not just for the fans, but even the journalists like me who are kind of, um, it, it's my 13th year, but I'm nowhere near as successful as you yet. Um, we wouldn't have somebody like you to be our inspiration, our benchmark in terms of what it means to be a good journalist um, and a good reporter as well. So um, that's really incredible to hear that um, just because I've always figured that that was your path, but to hear that that's how it kind of the genesis for you, it's really interesting to me because it just shows to me that the paths are always different to get into NASCAR. It's not just, you know, you got to go to a short track and do this. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting yeah. to hear how your beginnings were for I you. I, I always suggest when people ask, how do I become a NASCAR reporter or how do I be, get into working in NASCAR? And I always say, you don't have to work full-time in NASCAR as your first job to be eventually working full-time in NASCAR. You go to somewhere where covering NASCAR is part of the job, or if you're into marketing, where you go to a marketing agency where they have a, an account that deals with NASCAR and people will see um, we'll see how, see the job that you do. And the, the reason I went to NASCAR scene, the reason I got the job at NASCAR scene partly is because the people at NASCAR scene sat across from me in the media center every February and every July. And back then there was testing in December and January. And so, you know, I knew them, uh, very well and they knew how I went about my work. They could see how I went about my work. They had read my work and, and that's how I got to full time. Uh, NASCAR and I, and I think you can see that in a lot of paths of people not just journalists but in all sorts of uh, all sorts of areas of NASCAR you'd, you'd be 
I think you'd find much, many fewer people who've solely done NASCAR and solely done motorsports in the business than you would people who have done a variety of sports who are now focused on NASCAR. That's really cool that that you had that opportunity with uh, with Cup Scene and um, just kind of being able to network with them. And that's during the time before, of course, you know, digital media and internet kind of came into this this forefront that we know so well to this day. Um, and we'll get to that part a little bit uh, later. But I wanted to say, in my eyes, and I hope you take this in a good way, I see you as the NASCAR version of Adrian Woj. Which Noarski from ESPN, uh, and I mean that really well because he's one of the alumni from my school, uh, St. Bonaventure. Uh, to me, you're seen as Thank one of you. the most. Yeah, you're welcome, Bob. <laughs> you're trust. You're a trusted voice, a source that we all look to. If you say it, we know it means it holds water. It's going to be something that we have to pay attention to. When you consider your journalism career from Daytona to now being with NAS- uh, Fox NASCAR. And having kind of all the different stops in between, is it kind of humbling for you to be know that you're not just succeeding in your uh, in your field, but you're also one of the most beloved figures amongst NASCAR fans? Well, I appreciate all the kind words. Um, I do think that other people could do the job. Uh, from what you said earlier, like I think if I, if I didn't go cover NASCAR, I think somebody else would would certainly be doing uh, mainly what I'm doing. Certainly, there are a lot of talented people in the media center, uh, but. Uh, look, I I got into this because I love um, interacting with fans. I love helping fans understand the sport, and I love helping you know fans uh, choose. Look, NASCAR is difficult sport to understand, right? There's lots of rules. There's mechanical rules. There's procedural rules, um, and there's a lot of drama. And there's a lot of uh, you know the, you've got so many different teams and so many, and it's a business and. I, I enjoy helping people understand that. And, and that's where my motivation lies. I like to, I like it when if somebody reads one of my stories and say they're going to be a fan of Chase Elliott or a fan of Kevin Harvick or a fan of um, Chase Briscoe or a fan of Kyle Larson or not a fan of those drivers, you know, I've done my job. In, in fact, if they read my NASCAR coverage and decide, hey, I'm going to go watch basketball, you know, I want them to continue to read my coverage, but if I've helped them make that decision, then I've done my job. And I would assume that somebody who's covering basketball would write stuff about basketball and somebody would be like, hey, I don't want to cover basketball. Maybe I'll try NASCAR and I'll even out, right? <laughs> but, you know, I really cherish the opportunity to help people understand the sport, uh, people's, uh, people's uh, discretionary income and discretionary time is very valuable to them. And to be able to have an impact on how they spend that time and how they spend that money is um, is a huge responsibility that I don't take lightly. I would say you are the gold standard of what it means to be a great journalist and also a great ambassador of the sport. Uh, and I've seen you over the years, how you interact with the fans and you're very authentic with approaching them. And if you take a time to you know talk with talk racing with them or to take a selfie with them, it's it's so it's so refreshing to see, and um, in a, a lot of ways, even though I, I I I've not really interacted with you a lot, I try to model myself after you just because I've seen you doing it and you're doing it right. And I'm, you know, I don't get to go to a lot of the races right now, but mm-hmm. when I get to, I try to be like, all right, so let's shadow Bob, even if he doesn't know, so that I can learn how to yeah. be a good journalist. And uh, hopefully, after this, yeah. I 
you know, I can turn to you as a mentor of sorts, but uh, sure. it's really cool to watch. I'm not you in the action. most talkative. I'm not always the most talkative at the track because I'm kind of focused. But yes, yeah, certainly feel free to come up to me. Uh, for sure. Oh, and I know you're you're focused. Mm. I, 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 you know, in the media center, and I hope folks at home understand this. I almost feel like we're race car drivers in our own rights because when it's Friday and Saturday, not to no offense to the trucks or Xfinity mm. series. It is a serious mood, but it's not as intense. But when we get to Sunday or the cup race day, everyone's helmet, like visors are down and we're all trying to get our work done. So I know just how hard you work, even though we're all working for different outlets right now. Um, I always have the utmost respect for you for sure. And I got to ask a little bit of a, a silly side note question. Okay. You talked about trying to have the fans understand the, the nuances of NASCAR, because like you said, and I agree, it's not a very easy sport to understand, but do you sometimes get tired of the fans, whether they're being serious or humorous mm -hmm. with you, when they ask, are there lights at the racetrack, Bob? <laughs> um, I don't, look, um, the, my, the only, uh, I don't even call it an issue, but like, you know, you try to answer so many fans' questions on Twitter that if there's so many people asking you, you know, if they have lights first, you don't know if they're serious, so you don't know if you should answer the question if it is a track that maybe just recently added lights and secondly if it clogs up the timeline i i missed some other questions that would that people want answers to because it's just hard for me to get through my timeline but uh the fact that people love it um and enjoy asking about it um i can't uh, look we need things that make people happy right we need to we need to have things that people enjoy doing and if that's what gives people joy and if that's what gives people if that brings a smile to people's face, you know, then, then that's awesome. And I'm, it's great to have that kind of impact on somebody. It's great. You know, people, you know, come up to you and say, Hey, does this track have lights and, and making a joke because they're having a good time and they're enjoying it. Or they post it on Twitter because they want to see if I react or not. And occasionally I will uh, just, you know, for fun. I think, um, you know, it, it there's no reason not to be upset over it, right? There's no reason to be annoyed over it. Um, it's, I mean, you know, th there's a lot worse things <laughs> to get to get annoyed over or upset over. And this is, it's a fun thing, it's fun. So why, you know, uh, let, let's embrace it and, and in, in enjoy it. I like that you've run with it. And I think when you were with Kyle Larson, um, shortly after the finale at Phoenix, when you guys went to the, Alley Coliseum, you basically just kind of said, you know what, this is my, this is my moment. This is what I, I'm associated with. So what the heck? And you're like posing next to the, the lights at the Coliseum. So I was like, mm -hmm. that is gold. And I, I so, <laughs> there was another writer there who said, Hey, Bob, there's this place of lights. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I should point that out. And then, and I wasn't trying to make a meme obviously, but uh, it became one. I love it. And um, it's just, I say if you when Dale Earnhardt said like if the fans are making any kind of noise you know that's great or something like that to me I think that's kind of your equal to that mm -hmm. and I can only hope that I have something like that eventually mm -hmm. down the road uh, once I get further into my career now over the years you've broken news stories to fans for the various outlets you've worked with so I mean how did you establish those relationships within the garage and the industry so that you could be that person, that journalist that does break the news during the year. Uh, well, I think first off, it's uh, treating people fairly, you know, and people understanding that you're going to be fair. 
not um, not having favorites. You know, I think people. It's pretty easy to tell on Twitter if somebody if a journalist likes somebody or doesn't like somebody. Uh, it can be get pretty. You know, people can kind of see through those things, um, and especially in the garage. Uh, I think the key is to talk to a lot of people and understand the motivation behind what people are telling you, right? Like if somebody's gonna say, well, don't quote me, but this is why, this is what's going on. Do, are they telling, why are they telling you? Are they motivated to tell you the truth? Are they motivated to spin it in a certain way, right? You know, uh, so, you know, I think it comes down to making sure that you have trusted sources, making sure that your sources are people in the know, making sure that you have multiple sources, making sure that you don't, especially on Twitter, it's easy to want to go out on a limb, right? Like, oh, this person told me it's probably going to happen. And you've got to be patient and make sure that you have, you know, that you're confident in what you're saying. Uh, so I think that's, that's the main thing. I mean, obviously, if you were wrong a lot, people would stop telling you stuff, right? If you weren't fair, people would stop telling you stuff. And, and, and the thing is, and this is probably going to go into some of the things that you want to talk about, is that what was fair for a print publication or a daily newspaper where you would say, hey, I'll give you till nine o'clock. It could be two in the afternoon and say, I'll give you till nine o'clock tonight to be able to tell me because we're going, not going to press till 10. Now it might be, I got to give you till 2.15 or 2.10 instead of, you know, I'm going to give you 10 minutes instead of seven hours, you know? So it's changed because of Twitter and, and, and digital media and websites and, and all that. Um, so... But the, as long as people, you know, I try not to surprise people as far as like if, if, if something's posted or I feel like that they should know, you know, that, 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 it, that something is going to be out there. If, if I think like if it's something very sensitive that people don't know is going to be public, you know, I try to give them a heads up as much as I can, you know, and one to get comment, but also so that they know that, that I know. And I think that you know, you, you, you're as good as your reputation and you're as good as your last story. And, and you just continue to, um, to plug away. But again, you know, I, I would say that the key things are to be accurate, to be fair, and to, um, to not, to not have, um, and kind of not have, not have your favorites or not have people think that you are, oh, you're just biased towards that team or that uh, manufacturer or that driver uh, from, from the view inside the garage. You're always going to get it from outside. You're always going to get it on social media a little bit, you know, whenever you write something. But at least inside the garage, if they feel that you're fair, um, then, uh, then that goes a long way. It reminds me of something that Bob Jenkins said to me um, late, late last year before he, he ultimately passed away, mm -hmm. where he said, you know, all I care about is that the race was really good. It was competitive. Mm -hmm. I don't give a hoot who the driver was or the manufacturer that dominated. And he gone on to say, went on to say that there was one fan who accused him of being a Ford fan. He's like, I didn't care about Ford. I just, it just so happened they won the race. So it kind mm -hmm. of reminded me of something that Bob um, Jenkins had said to me. And it, it's comforting to hear that even with the changes in journalism, the traditional values are still holding true to this day. But I think in a way, and it does lead me to my next question here about uh, journalism. It is evolving. It was traditional print, which you worked with. And I'm really proud of the fact that, I don't want to say proud of the fact, it kind of doesn't sound like a good word. 
I think I'm really like inspired by the fact that you went from this print journalist to being this reporter on TV and you're able to do Twitter and social media and you're still an affair, a very effective journalist. Like as one of the top journalists in our sport, where do you see the industry going in the next five to 10 years in terms of the business and technology standpoint? Uh, well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think uh, obviously the key to staying true to the values is, <clears throat> is you know, I would, I would say is that, you know, if you, if it's not about you and it's not about being at the racetrack, but about being fair to the fans, then you're, then you'll be fine. Right. Like if people always ask, do you need to be a fan of the sport you cover? And I say, you don't really have to be a fan of the sport. You just have to be a fan of the fans of the sport. Right. If you care what they care about, if you are working to serve them, then, uh, then that's going to push you, you know, if you're there just to be at the racetrack or to rub elbows with race car drivers or to, you know, that all, all, all those processes have changed, right. In, in a lot of ways. And so, uh, but if you care, if you care about the fans then you'll be in good shape, as far as where it goes, you know, look, is it, it will continue to increase that um, drivers and teams can work, can control the message better because they have more ways to communicate with fans, right? They have Twitter feeds, they can make better videos, they can, um, and, 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 you know, they, they have the ability, unless they're big media, unless, you know, I mean, Fox would have the ability too, but they have the ability to, to pivot to TikTok quicker and Instagram to, you know, they're, they're, they have people specifically assigned, you know, is, is Snapchat going to be what's, what was next? No, it wasn't. It all of a sudden it became, it was more Twitter stories, right? And a lot of some people thought, was it Meerkat for a while? And then uh, Facebook Live came up, right? Or, or Twitter Periscope came out. And the, the teams and the athletes and the people the athletes have on their staffs are, are, are so much able to control messaging and to able to put out there what they want that the challenge for media like us is to make sure that we are still a valued piece by being an independent, unbiased, uh, by giving an independent and unbiased view of people, right? I think that that to me is is the biggest challenge. You know, I you you, you always have people say, I love that driver because I you know I see on Instagram that they are a uh, you know they're just great with their kids. And you know, I, I laugh sometimes. I mean, look, that driver may very well be great with their kid, but they're only showing you the, the, the two minutes of the day, right? right? They're not showing you the other 23 minutes, 23 hours and 58 minutes. Um, so, but, it, but they have that ability. So the challenge for us is to make sure that we are giving, that we are going beyond what the teams are putting out, what the drivers are putting out, the stories that they are telling through their lens and making sure that we do it in a um, unfiltered, unbiased lens uh, that's, that, that resonates uh, with people. And that often requires the driver's help with, with us, right? Uh, and, and teams help with us. And it's our challenge to make sure that they see uh, the value in doing it through things that we do, knowing that we have uh, that, that most people know that what they get through us is potentially going to be a little bit more unbiased than what you get through their channels. Oh, for sure. I mean, kind of in a way, um, 
the team's materials, which is amazing to look at and digest, mm -hmm. it's almost like an authorized biography, if you will. Not that mm -hmm. we're the unauthorized biography, but we're going to tell you exactly what's going on, at least if that's our intent as a journalist. And I know that's your intent. That's usually mm -hmm. my intent, too, and I'm there, too. Um, and I think that's a really great point that you've driven home on that question, just because it does have me thinking like, wow, I never realized, I never looked at it that way. I've always been focused on what I've done and what uh, we do at the racetrack to yeah, realize yeah. that that's the but, case, wow. But, but think of it, here's the thing, we look at it from two different, um, um, I wanna say age groups, but like when I first was writing, you know, if you need a comment from a driver, you emailed or you called before even email and asked if there was going to be a statement or press release. And at some point it would come over your fax machine and probably come from the PR person, right? Now a driver sitting on the plane after some sort of altercation is probably going to tweet, right? <laughs> you know, they, they, the drivers are doing it themselves, which potentially could be more authentic than if it comes out of the, out of the team account. <laughs> but they had the, the 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 drivers now have the ability to go straight to their fans right we used to always say like we were we are the conduit to the fans and we still are but the drivers now have um as you know they certainly have many more ways you know they weren't printing a newspaper before right there were there was no before twitter you know there was no way for them to get their message to the fans except through us and now they have the ability uh, much easier ability to uh, to go straight to their fans. Absolutely, and it was no, not more evident to me, mm -hmm. really, in my case, until 2012 at the Daytona 500 during that red flag, um, when Brad Kozlowski tweeted from his cockpit his view of what he saw at Daytona. That to me kind of said, you know, maybe we have to take social media seriously. It's not just like a a place where people tweet, hey, you know, at six o'clock, I'm in the subway, I'm heading back from my work in Boston, and I'm going to have Chinese food in um, in Malden. It's much different now where <laughs> you, you said it uh, really well that the athletes, the drivers have that access to tell the tell their fans what's going on. So that's another interesting lens that you've um, have given me to think about after this interview that I'm going to be thinking about during dinner. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's uh, really profound that that's going to have to think about beyond this paper for sure, <laughs> to say the least. Now, how do you proceed? Now, we talked about the business and technology standpoint. Let's consider journalism in terms of the economic and cultural standpoint. I mean, you talked about the different platforms that have um, been out there. Uh, Facebook, of course, is still out there, sitting strong. Twitter's pretty strong. It's implemented Twitter spaces as well. Um, and of course, we have, you know, podcasts out there. Fox Sports is really one of the top leaders in digital platforms. Where do you see things going on an economic and cultural standpoint for journalism? Is it going to get better? Is it heading in the right direction? Well, I mean, you know, I, I'll be optimistic and say it's always, it's going to evolve. And, you know, and whether that's better or not, I guess it'll be uh, up to, um, other people to decide, you know, I think, you know, obviously right now we're in a, we're trying to figure out how to, the, the biggest challenge right now is making sure that, that there is freedom of speech and yet the ability to, um, to, uh, to distribute factual information is, um, 
you know, you, you want both, right? You want, you want freedom of speech. You want people to be able to say what, what they want to say. And you also want the ability to deliver information that they can fact check and that they, and that, uh, and that is accurate. You know, I think that's, that's the big, that's the big challenge. When you talk about where do we go economically, I think, you know, as we evolve, you know, the written word is still going to be the written word, but video continues to be where I think, you know, advertisers want to be, right? They want, uh, they want their digital, they, they want their video ad to play before video of like either a report or an interview or, or whatever, right? They, people will sit and watch that more than read or in, and more than, you know, potentially look at an ad that's not, that's not video, right? So I think that's, I think it's continuing to go that route. Um, and the, the challenge will continue to be um, as people, you oh, little, almost do a history lesson here. People used to buy newspapers for, and they would buy it because you could get the comics and you would get uh, classifieds and you would get crossword and you'd get some information and you, you there could be uh, some other little games in there, but you bought it as a package, right? And now you can go to the New York Times website and subscribe, but then you can pay a little bit more for the puzzle, the crossword puzzle of the day. Um, you, and every story in there can be considered a revenue generator, right? The the sports because there's an if there's an ad on every story, every story is a revenue generator. Before it was the paper as a whole, so you know, so everything, so you sold as a package, and now everything is almost a la carte. And the continuation of this a la carte process of of delivering information will, you know, will when will well, newspapers have to go to almost an OTT platform, right, for videos where they have, you know, where they just have videos of interviews and you click on it and maybe you get a certain number for, um, well, I mean, look, uh, right now, if you want to follow the Florida Gators on that website, on the Gainesville website, paper website, I think you pay a little extra for their most in-depth coverage, which you then pay more for like more videos of Gator games and Gator interviews and all that. That's, that'll probably be, that, that's kind of probably the next step and the next wave to see where things go economically. How much are people willing to pay for? How much are they, do they feel like that they should get for, uh, for free? And, and, and seeing that balance, right? You have, you know, Jeff Gluck at The Athletic, you know, bows all the time. He, his job is to generate subscriptions to The Athletic and people are like, well, I want to read your stuff, but I don't want to pay for it. Well, that's not their business model, right? And will that business model, they put a lot of money into that, uh, into the athletic. People who are familiar with journalism have read the reports of them trying to sell and not having been able to sell yet. And will that full subscription model be something that, um, that an online entity can make work or does it need to be a hybrid? And then, and then the other section of that is where do where does video fit in into that subscription versus free model? That's quite true. I mean, in a way, you said it really well. I like what you said. It's a la carte nowadays versus 
I was I was old enough to remember the newspaper days, and that's kind of what inspired me to even become a journalist, besides being a fan of NASCAR. But obviously, I kind of got into college at an awkward time where the first three years, it was still print journalism. And then 2008, you know, digital media started to come. And I was like, well, this is going to throw a wrench in my plans. And uh, I had to kind of stall my senior year to kind of make sure I kind of caught on or caught up where, rather with the industry as it changed. And then I realized after 2015, after getting my bachelor's, I was like, well, I kind of need to go back to school and get my master's because obviously I only know up to 2015 and going to this university should hopefully catch me up and maybe get a little bit ahead of that trend. Um, not only with NASCAR coverage, but journalism as a whole, because it's definitely changed, not just with ethics, not just with, you know, where you can get the information, but just even like the paywall situation, um, which hopefully does benefit the journalists as well as the outlets that they cover. It's almost no different than grabbing a magazine back then at Borders, really, and being like, okay, I want to buy, you know, um, what was it, like NASCAR Illustrated to kind of get more of the in-depth stories that Claire B. Lang may have worked on back then, or I can get uh, Racer Magazine and read Ben Blake's works um, instead of just like watching the TV and, you know, seeing Steve Wade on Inside NASCAR on TNN back then. So it's kind of, in a way to me, it's like, what we've been through before but in in this year's era or the next generation so it's interesting you point that out and it does make me kind of think a little bit further about what's going to happen and kind of to relate it back to you as well as with the industry it's kind of no secret and it's kind of a hard topic to approach but it's something i have to approach motorsports journalism has predominantly been a white industry a white male industry with a lot of folks that cover nascar and indycar but you know, we've seen some progress on the diversity front, but, you know, from your perspective, having covered NASCAR for nearly 30 years now, we're, uh, you know, do you feel like there's been enough progress in terms of the women and journalists of color covering those series? And do you think we need to make more progress so it's a lot more equal in terms of diversity? I mean, I think there needs, there's, prog there's progress that needs to be made. Um, I, you know, the hard part is that there's fewer journalists covering NASCAR now than there were 15 or 20 years ago. So the number of people who are covering it, I mean, the, the opportunities are coming fewer and fewer for everyone, right? And so, you know, where, you know, I think it's up to, uh, to the people who are hiring um, journalists uh, to, to make sure their staffs are diverse. I, I do not view it as, I, I don't view um, NASCAR as an unwelcoming place or a place where, um, you, you know, I, I, I believe that, that, uh, that people from diverse backgrounds can do as good a job as, um, as you know, as a, as a white male, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't believe that there is, yeah, I, I I believe that there that most of the people in in NASCAR will will give you information to anyone, no matter who they are. You know, I mean, certainly there's probably a few people, you know, but uh, I mean, I I I you know, I think anybody who comes in has to earn respect. There's always there's always questions of how much somebody knows when you don't know who they are, and I don't think that that. Um, 
that matters um, that that matters as far as ethnicity or gender or race or um, sexual orientation or anything like that. There, you, you're always going to be questioned. You're, people are always going to wonder if you know what you're talking about until they get to know you. And I think once they see the work, then they uh, then they make then they make their judgments. Um, so I would, you know, again, I, I I would say, you know, that 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 it's up to you know the people who are doing the hiring to um, to make sure that they're considering everyone who asks, you know, about or who applies for jobs or or when they're looking to make assignments to consider everyone. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, you know, could could it make a difference? Um, you know, I get. I guess the 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 next step or the next question would be, you know, what do how do the current journalists? how do we approach our Twitter feeds? What do we advocate for? How do we address diversity and those topics and uh, topics in society? And, you know, I guess um, I, I haven't really thought about it too much, but, you know, I mean, I just try to be myself and, and be, you know, talk about the things that I am passionate about and make sure that, um, you know, within, Fox's parameters, you know, obviously, but um, the, you know, if you won't want what journalists and NASCAR, what you won't want NASCAR journalists to uh, be tweeting stuff and putting stuff out in social media that would discourage people from wanting to cover the sport, right? So, um, so the question is, is do, do we need to do a better job as journalists to make sure that we are putting things out there that would give um, people the comfort and the knowledge that it is an accepting community? Absolutely. I've, that's exactly what I would think as well. And, um, you know, 2020 at Talladega kind of reaffirmed to me that there is that sense that, you know, you will be embraced regardless of the, the color of your skin or whatever you believe in. And we saw it with the drivers. And I think we saw it in the industry itself, just how much the sport is saying, you know what, we're, we're moving with the times. We're going to, we're, we're going to proceed and progress as well. And I know it's a really difficult topic, but um, it is something that is on the forefront for me, um, not just personally, but also professionally as well as I try to work my way into the industry in full time. Um, so that's really some um, good points you brought up. I, got, I will say that it is important for journalists to not shy away from story. You know, there. You know, when Bubba Wallace made his Cup debut, you know, and there was, you know, I certainly wrote several stories about, you know, first black driver since first full time black driver since Wendell Scott. And there are some journalists who I think are uncomfortable with those stories. They don't know how to approach them. And I think it is important for more and more journalists to to explain why certain things are why certain things are important and be comfortable addressing those issues and talking to people about those issues because it's un, it's an uncomfortable can be a very uncomfortable conversation, but um, 
and you know, but there there's still conversations that uh, that 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 need to be had, and I think it's um, and, and and I don't necessarily blame the journalists as much as the um, I I think you know the I'm trying to think of a way to explain this. There are a lot of drivers who um, who now race, and when they race go karts, they race against uh, girls, right? You know, as kids, you know, you boys and girls race against each other, so they don't see it as a big deal when a girl or when a female when there's a female driver in cup because they because they it's they've been around it their entire lives, and I think it's the same way for a lot of young journalists, but it, it's important to know the history of 30 years ago and 40 years ago and 50 years ago and why, and, and, and look at the, then the current history of the last 20 years of, of progression and, where, and, and why there hasn't been as many uh, you know, minorities and females in the top tiers of racing to uh to like like you need to you need to, you need to be able to understand all of that to be able to write about it and i would say you know obviously through no fault of their own but a lot of younger journalists don't have that perspective of 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago of of the way um of the way things were in the sport and in society that's that's for sure um I mean, I wasn't a journalist 30 years ago, but I was <laughs> about five years old when I got into racing. Yeah. So I couldn't, I'm not qualified to say I'm a journalist, but, you know, mm -hmm. definitely I, as a fan at the time, I recognized, hey, I'm probably not the same color as most of the fans <laughs> in the grandstands. And to this day, as a journalist, I'm probably one of the few Asian journalists in NASCAR, but um, mm -hmm. I'm not there to be the only Asian. I'm there to be a journalist, but um, it is comforting when I realize how much is progressing in NASCAR and the fact that heading into next year, the defending cup champion is half Asian. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's almost like, hey, you know, this, this kind of yeah. makes me feel like I will be okay in this sport, yeah. to say the least. Um, you've talked a lot about some of the other questions that I already planned out in the head. So my last question for you is really not so much about the technology standpoint, but in terms of how social media has kind of shifted the paradigm of our coverage. I mean, like I said earlier, you adapted so well to the different changes that's happened throughout journalism's um, mediums. I mean, you were traditional, a traditional print journalist, and then you went over to the networks mm -hmm. with the ESPN, now Fox. And um, I was really impressed with how like, you just were able to be like, you know what, I'm gonna go on video and you know, it's not, it never fails whether you're at the racetrack or at home, you do like a post-race Bob Hawker's thoughts that I love. And uh, it's really cool how you get to the, the meat and the potatoes of what happens in the race. So my last question is, you know, with, you know, how has digital journalism and the platforms with digital media, like social media networks, how has that shifted our approach as a journalist in terms of how you talked about the, the drivers and the teams controlling things, but how is I mean, social it, media? Kind uh, of, go ahead. I mean, I'll, you know, like I'll go back to when Dale Jr. had that long losing streak and he wins at Michigan and his girlfriend at the time, now his wife, Amy, is there in victory lane and she gives him a big hug. I got a call. I was working at the sporting news at the time for the website. And I got a call about 20 minutes after the race and it said, and they said, 
we are noticing people are coming to our website under Google searches for Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s girlfriend because she had not been, she wasn't, she had come to the banquet, but it, there wasn't a whole lot known about her. They said, can you get a quote from her? So, you know, I texted Junior's PR people and they sent us a quote from Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s girlfriend and we put a post and a lot of people read it. And so that, that changes the approach, right? Like never before, like, well, why would I write that? Well, there was, you know, a reason to write it. People were searching for it. We were trying to give people what they were looking for. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. used to hate it, right? When we would say Danica Patrick's boyfriend finishes 12th, right? But <laughs> Because of SEO and headlines and URLs needed more search was for Danica Patrick than for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That story would get read more. More people would learn about Ricky Stenhouse Jr. if we put Danica Patrick's name in the headline, right? Now, he might not like it, but when you explain it to him and you explain to the people like, look, more people will actually learn about him with this as the headline. So don't get mad about it, right? Or don't, don't get too insulted over it. That's that but that that is how it impacts the way we tell our story right and the way we write headlines and i think it will continue to go forward what we get so much data on what people are looking at what people are reading what people are um are and people and how people consume that that will always uh dictate our coverage you know i mean look back at nascar scene there were certain drivers we knew if they won the race, we weren't going to put them on the cover because it didn't sell the magazine. Okay, we, we knew that there were certain drivers who won the race that we definitely wanted on the cover. There were certain ones that we didn't. It's kind of the same thing now, except it's in digital media form of like, okay, people want to read about this topic or this driver or this race or this series. And how do we cater our coverage to that, um, to, to, to those, to what people are looking for. And then the challenge for us is to find interesting stories that we don't necessarily know if they're going to resonate and hope that they do resonate, right? And, and the stories that really help explain things or help uh, people understand or just tell great stories, where does all that, where does that all fit into this? That's quite true. I'm glad you brought up SEO writing because that was going to be the whole question and you kind of knew where I was going with it. Um, so that's exactly what I was um, going to ask. And it's actually interesting you mentioned that because that's that's a tackle, a challenge I'm tackling right now is like, I don't know how it works over in Fox Sports, but when I've written articles with SEO, I, we use Yoast SEO on my website. Um, it looks for that featured keyword and it has to be mentioned so many times and so, uh, you know, you have to use certain transition words as well. So I, you know, it's interesting you bring up the whole Danica, Ricky Stenhouse situation because Danica is a buzzword. Um, it's going to mm -hmm. be more recognized than say Ricky Stenhouse, like you said. So it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up just because I never realized SEO writing goes beyond marketing. It's also in sports mm -hmm. journalism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, again, that's, you know, some people say that's a shame, but you know, if more people are reading it, then the better. Absolutely. I mean, our that's job what... is to inform people. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Bob Pockers, who was the subject for Writer's Block. And our thanks again to Bob and to Megan Engelhart of Fox Sports for making this interview possible. I hope you all enjoyed this little masterclass of motorsports journalism with Bob Pockers. And yes, I will be working on a digital edition 
of this interview on the podium finish. So look for that later this month, um, along with our Ben Rhodes interview, which will be up this week. And we've got some interesting content coming up. Uh, so before we close things out, of course, I want to thank Casey for taking the time uh, to join us here on TPF Live. And of course, you can catch his, his content on YouTube. He does a lot of great work on there. Um, and once the racing season kicks off, he's got his preview show with my good friend and co-host, um, Nathan. And like I said earlier, I hope to be a, a guest on that preview show, even though I am considered the, the older guy of the group. But um, be that as that may, I'm still young enough to say that I did play with Nintendo uh, video games back in the day. And yes, I am a sharpshooter when it comes to Duck Hunt and all of that. So if you kids want to play against me one of those days, uh, we'll see how that goes. But before we close things out, and yes, I did date myself a little bit on that. Uh, Nathan, we've got some great content that we've been working on on thepodiumfinish.net. Why don't you tell the folks at home what you've been working on and what we can expect from you um, in the coming week? Yeah, so uh, I just recently put out a, a great piece that I was able to uh, to work on with, uh, uh, with 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 new truck series driver Blaine Perkins. He he, he ran eight starts last year in, with Al Motorsports. Now he has a full time ride with CR Seven Motorsports in the truck series. So actually, uh, Casey was able to help me out getting getting Blaine. So that was a uh, uh, I really enjoyed that interview. Really enjoyed working on that piece. Um, you know, we're working on trying to get some other interviews here for uh, for TPF Live. Some other features on our website. Um, hoping to hear some stuff back. We're working on working through our our, uh, our our preview series, or not our preview series, but our um, season in review series for for 2021. Uh, working through getting through some of the truck guys, and then soon we'll be on to uh, Xfinity and Cup, and hopefully we can get some more of those out here soon, and and hopefully have all 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 playoff drivers from all three series last year, or from 2021. Uh, get get those all out here before the 2022 season starts. So a lot of stuff coming up here on TPF, and uh, I'm excited for it. I am too, just because we're not that long away from getting to NASCAR racing season again. Um, as I look at the calendar, yes, we are recording on Sunday. So when you hear this on Monday, or whenever you listen to this, at least for episode 12, Yes, indeed. It is 42 more days until the Daytona 500. So just hang in there, folks. We're almost through with football season. We're almost out of the the, uh, the winterness of this year. Um, so looking forward to that. And of course, this week, we got the Chili Bowl. So that's going to be fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if Kyle Larson gets his third straight win uh, with his efforts there after coming so close and now all of a sudden winning the big one of the biggest races into their track scene. So that's going to be exciting. Um, like Nathan said, he's got his work with the review series. And as, at least for me, I've got the Ben Rose interview that will be up. Bob Hawkers's interview. If you didn't want to sit through the whole podcast, I've got that coming up as well. And a little spoiler, if you will, we do have a really prominent cut driver that will be um, joining us on TPF Live as well as on the podiumfinish.net. So the only thing I could say to that, no one spoil it, because if you do, I'll be pretty cranky and you don't want me to be cranky, um, is the fact that this gentleman won four times, he's got a grandfather clock, and he could be my friend, or think of the synonym for friend. So if you know that, then you know who's going to be joining us on TPF Live down the road. If you don't, well, I'm afraid you live under a rock. Um, but with that, I do want to close things out. Casey, again, thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate that. Um, certainly, I do want to let folks know uh, in order to find his great content, 
in the world of NASCAR and such. He's got his YouTube channel. So if you wanted to find that, of course, his channel would just be looking it up by Casey Campbell NASCAR on YouTube. Um, and his channel is right there. He's got lots of great interviews that he's done throughout his career. Um, he even talked to Christian Lungard. So um, yeah. he's got a lot of great things um, and a lot of local content as well. So he's well connected with younger folks, whereas the dad of NASCAR, aka me, um, I'm hopefully still cool enough to be in that that scene. But hey, that's why I got my own little podcast again. Yeah, well, yeah, you do. <laughs> but I uh, hope to be on that just because I have some thoughts I could share as well. But with that, I'm going to close things out and just let you folks know that you can download this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Please rate us, give us good reviews because we could use it uh, to get out there and let your friends and folks know that the Podium Finish Live is certainly a production of St. Bonaventure University um, as produced by me, Rob T. Oxen, and my good co-host, Nathan Solomon. So we're going to have episode 13 coming out next week. And then not too long from that, we're back on the radio airwaves. So I'm excited about that just because I love being a DJ and, you know, playing the, the little records, if you will. But I don't really do that. But whatever. It's all good. So with that, friends, thanks for joining us again on the Podium Finish Live episode number 12 with Bob Pockers and Daisy Campbell. So with that, for Nathan Solomon, thanks again for joining us. And for Casey Campbell, thank you for the great insights as well. And of course, to Bob Pockers of Fox NASCAR. This is your host, Rob Tiansen, signing off for another edition of TPF Live here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. I hope you tune into next week we've got a great show as always so until next time folks stay safe keep healthy and go get that checkered flag as we get deeper into 2022 so long everybody